there are many times in this life, church, when you will be faced with a decision to weigh the cost compared, the cost you'll pay for the thing that you value the most in this life. You ask those questions, for instance, what are you willing to do to get that job promotion? Are you willing to work 80, 90 hours a week and sacrifice time with your family? What are you willing to get that good grade? Willing to sacrifice time with your friends, your leisure, to study? Or what are you willing to pay for the cancer treatments for your spouse? Are you willing to take a second mortgage, dip into your 401, spend your kids' college money? What are you willing to pay for what you value the most? And sometimes, sadly, the thing that you want might not even be a good thing in itself. What are you willing to do for another drink? What are you willing to do for another high? What are you willing to do for another sexual encounter that your spouse doesn't know about? What are you willing to do to be liked or popular? Friends, there's always something valuable that we hold dear in this life, something you need, something you want. And it's something you and I are willing to spend everything we have and more on to get it. And often the cost is more than just money. This idea of value and cost is what the two parables this morning we're going to be talking about as we continue our sermon series on the kingdom of God, what it is and what is it like. And as you remember, the kingdom of God is centered around the four Ps, Jesus' power over Jesus' people and the place he has prepared for us to fulfill God's promise. So it's power, people, place, and promise. And Remember, the kingdom of God is not this thing that's just so far out there we can't live in it or understand it, and it's not like the kingdoms of this world. It's God's power over his people in his chosen place, which is right now there's this intimate relationship between the church and the kingdom. The people of God dwell in the church right now. So if you ever really want to experience the kingdom of God, what this is like, it's what we're doing right now. And one day, though, God promises us that his kingdom won't be restricted just to the church gatherings we do. Not in that sense. Many of the prophets promise us that a day is coming when the kingdom of God will destroy all other kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and all of its manifestations. All the nations, as you and I know they exist, will no longer exist one day. That's the second coming of Christ. It's the day we long for when only our good king will sit and reign and there will be no more evil. That's our Christian hope. In the parables, as we read them, they touch on these four Ps constantly. And today's two parables are in line with that. And if you can and are willing, please stand for the reading of God's sacred word. Our reading today is out of Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Two short parables that are told in consecutive order. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Jesus is speaking and he's telling this parable to the disciples. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. You say that without the Holy Spirit's help, we can't understand your word. We can read it. We can discuss it. 
but we can't really understand it. And I ask for the glory of Christ this morning, for his name's sake, that you would send your spirit in and on and among us to give us proper understanding of the word of God, how to love it, obey it, live it, lay it to heart, so we too can seek the kingdom of God properly for the glory of the one and only Son of God, by which name we are called. And if there's anybody here this morning that has not laid hold of the kingdom yet, that hasn't bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, that you would do whatever you have to do to bring them to that moment. Because without the kingdom of God, without having our citizenship a part of your kingdom, Jesus, you tell us we're a part of the kingdom of darkness. And Lord God, I beg you, we don't want to get swept away with the wicked. Save that soul today. Do what only you can do, because my mere words are not sufficient, but you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So without this morning going into the specific elements of each parable, as if Jesus does not explain the parable to us, if he doesn't tell us what each thing symbolizes in the parable, we need to be careful not to read into it more than what's there. And it takes care and caution. And also, as a remember, when a parable is not interpreted by Jesus, it's the entire parable that we need to lay hold of. So sometimes, if you ever read commentary, they'll, the beginning of some of our parables said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Sometimes people will make the mistake and say, the kingdom of heaven is like that first part, and then put it into action, and that's a big mistake. The kingdom of God is like the merchant in search of fine pearls, who then found the pearl, and so on and so on. It's the whole parable. It's not just the one element. And since Jesus, again, does not interpret it for us and give us signs, you need to be generous. People might come to different conclusions. But here's what, uh, here's what I really think we're talking about this morning. Sorry, my throat's tickling really bad. I'm trying to lose my train of thought. I just want to stick to this simple message that I think this duo parable brings to us, these two consecutive parables about the kingdom of God and what it's like. It's our main point for this morning. And I think the general meaning of the two parables combined, our main point today and the meaning of the two parables is this, is that the kingdom of God is the truly valuable thing that costs everything. The kingdom of God is the truly valuable thing that costs everything. And since Jesus Christ is the good king of the kingdom, he himself embodies this truth. We should expect this. We should see this, the truth and character of the kingdom of God and the king because the kingdom is only as good as its king. And everything you'd ever want to know about the kingdom of God can be found in the life, ministry, and person of Jesus Christ, the good king. And again, therefore, we should see this truth lived out by Jesus that the truly valuable thing costs everything. Jesus, our first preaching point, embodies this truth. The gospel story begins with our God King Jesus paying the initial cost by coming down from heaven and sacrificing his right to it. The scripture describes the Son of God's descent from heaven as Jesus taking on flesh. I once heard it compared to something like this, not to offend anybody, but uh, imagine if you being a healthy normal functioning human got in a bad accident became a quadriplegic and all of a sudden you couldn't talk anymore you couldn't hear anymore 
All your senses were taken away. You just became a prisoner in a shell. I once heard described Jesus taking on flesh like that. I mean, who can really fathom the infinite God taking on the frailty of human existence? It's a great mystery, but it's one that we was necessary. It's one we don't stop celebrating. Think about it. every Christmas we celebrate the incarnation. Incarnation is just a fancy word describing Jesus stepping out of heaven to be born as a man. That cute little baby in the manger is the Lord Almighty. And this very act of leaving glory for a painful human life of hardship and rejection and suffering by his very creation, by the very thing he made, was only the beginning of what Jesus Christ would pay to possess the kingdom of God and to save his people, you and me. For the kingdom of God is the truly valuable thing that costs everything. And it eventually cost him the most important thing, the most important thing to all people, his very life. Scripture says that in Philippians 2, 8 through 11, says that in being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master, King, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, the once and for all sacrifice of the perfect Son of God paid for our sins, freed us from the domain of darkness, and defeated Satan and all demonic powers, thereby establishing God's kingdom as supreme and everlasting. Jesus, this humble Jesus, the lowly carpenter from Nazareth, overcame the world. And now this Jesus, this humble Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, what we call the gospel, the good news, is now crowned with all authority and power, and everyone owes him allegiance. Every man, woman, and child that ever has, and specifically after the resurrection ever will be, owes this Jesus true allegiance and loyalty for the what's one Jesus, the humble Jesus born in a manger, is the mighty king of the universe. He is the one true king. And this church is why our Jesus went through what he did. And for all of his suffering, the cost was worth it. For the scripture testifies that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, our God King Jesus paid the ultimate cost willingly and joyfully because he understood that what is truly valuable will truly cost everything. It's a principle of the kingdom of God. And just like the parable mentioned, the man who found the hidden treasure, it says that he joyfully sold everything he could in that parable. That man who found that hidden treasure, he says he gave, he sold everything with joy in his heart because he knew what he would possess with that, just as our God King Jesus did enduring the cross, facing the wrath of God. And the cost was his life, but the joy of having the kingdom and being set as its king was worth it 
for our good King Jesus. And since our King lived out this truth, paying the ultimate cost for the most valuable thing, he now leaves for us this example. We're told regularly in Scripture that Jesus is the example, that we Christians ought to walk in the same way in which our Jesus walked, meaning our second preaching point, that the same thing is true for Christians concerning the kingdom. Jesus gave his all for the kingdom. You and I need to give our all for the kingdom because the kingdom of God is the truly valuable thing that costs everything. And what's true for Jesus is true for you. And you and I as Christians, we're told regularly by Jesus specifically on his time on earth, he'll tell us things constantly. He'll say things like, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first. Seek first the righteousness in the kingdom of God and everything will be added to you. Like we're told that in different forms and in different ways. But the, the encouragement, the command is there. Seek the kingdom of God first above everything else. Seek it. You gotta have it. It's principle. Nothing else matters in light of having this thing called the kingdom of God. And the parables today that we read, they're just another way of Jesus bringing that teaching again in front of the disciples And while these parables are different in their details, both of them today reveal this idea is that truly the kingdom of God is the most valuable thing you can ever have or possess. It needs to be your all pursuit. Everything else in this life, God, is again, does not matter compared to possessing the kingdom of God. And then when it's found, found in quotes, when you find the kingdom, the cost needs to be considered. Because seeking the kingdom and possessing it, which by the way, seeking the kingdom of God is really just another way of describing following Jesus. Because seeking the kingdom is no different than seeking and following its king. It's the same thing. So you could put it this way, seeking the kingdom, seeking Jesus, finding Jesus, following Jesus, however you want to word that, that's what these parables are getting at. The cost needs to be weighed because seeking and following Jesus, seeking his kingdom, it will cost you, Christian, and you who may not be a Christian today and is hearing this, whether it's online or in person, it will require your everything just like it cost Jesus. And we know this because on several occasions, Jesus would confront those who would say things like, I want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to be part of your kingdom, but they weren't willing to pay the cost. Here's what Jesus says to them, two different occasions. Luke 9, 57 through 62. Because remember, seeking the kingdom and following Jesus, same thing. He says this, Jesus does, confronting these people that his, they would, be, would be his would-be followers. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, Jesus said, Jesus now says to another, he goes, you, you follow me. But the man said to Jesus, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Let me go do my home life first. Let me do my family life first. My family comes before you, Jesus. Sounds extreme, but what does Jesus say to him? Verse 60, he says, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit 
for the kingdom of God. Those are pretty extreme words of Jesus. Pretty extreme. And then again, a few chapters later in Luke 14, 25 through 27, something similar happens. It says, now great crowds accompanied Jesus. And Jesus, it says, he turned He turns to these great crowds following him and he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words from our powerful God King. Think of what he's really saying here. He goes, Anything you think that's valuable to you or important to you needs to come under me. I have to be your first. You need to love me more than your wife. You need to love me more than your children. You need to love me more than your pursuit of wealth and happiness and anything you think is important. Those are powerful words. Powerful words. And if you sit here this morning and you think, man, Jesus, you're asking me to love you more than everything else, the answer is yes. Do you love him more than everything else? It's a hard question to ask. But it's an important one. Can you imagine in that moment, hearing that, being a part of that crowd, and Jesus says, if you really want me, forsake everything else. And that's not saying we don't have children and wives and families and take care of them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, where is your loyalty and your love first? Where is it? Friends, the Christian life, seeking the kingdom of God, following Jesus, however you want to word that, is one of self-denial and personal abandonment. It's giving up all your rights to life, giving rights to all your own decision-making. It's giving up your wants and your dreams and your hopes, and it's putting all your eggs in this one basket of following this one guy, this one God king called Jesus Christ. It's, it's putting all your bet on the table. It's showing your hands and saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm all in for you and nothing else. Even when it screams lunacy. And an unknown author, he wrote it this way. He goes, seeking the kingdom of God, following a Jesus, this Jesus, is somewhere between the line between wisdom and folly. It becomes imperceptible. The world will think you're bananas. They'll think you're crazy. Your family may hate you for it. They're going to think you're weird. Everything about you then becomes under the flag of Jesus. And the world thinks that's insane and stupid. How can you put all your hope in this one religion? How can you put all your hope and faith in this this guy that lived 2,000 years ago when it's just a myth and so on, things like that? And the answer is yes. Yes, I will. He's still the king today as he was when he rose from the dead and was seated at the right hand of God. He's our everything. Is he your everything? And when you do that, when you follow this Jesus, you put yourself outside of normal. As God says, his people are peculiar, we're strange, we're weird, we're Jesus weirdos. We live, eat, breathe, and die for this guy called Jesus that you've never seen with your eyes and yet you've placed all your hope in. That's the Jesus we follow. We are so sure of this and we're willing to abandon everything for it. And that's the story of everyone who ever has and ever will follow Jesus. And this guy named Paul the Apostle, the guy that started his career by killing Christians, how he began before he had his come to Jesus moment, he embodies this truth. He describes what this process is like of giving up the rights to your own life to live for somebody else. And for all those who would possess the kingdom of God, the same story, Philippians 3, 7 through 8, the apostle Paul, 
the guy that started out killing Christians, kind of gives us insight into what this is like for him. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Can you hear the passion in his words? This is the word of God. He's saying, I gave up everything for this Jesus. I gave up everything. Everything I thought I wanted, everything I needed, everything I hoped for, all my prestige and power and money and wealth, whatever I thought my life would be like, he goes, it's, it's baloney. It's garbage compared to having this Jesus. That's the story of Paul. That's the story of anyone who would be a follower of Jesus. The ultimate testimony of those who would possess the kingdom. As both our parables conclude with a similar phrase, they went and sold all to purchase the kingdom. That type of phrase, both comes at the end of the parables. Both the merchant and both the man that found the kingdom, you know, they, they said, this is worth my everything. And they did it. Because the kingdom of God is the most valuable thing. That's worth your everything. And like Jesus, when you find the valuable thing, you must be willing to forgo all things. But church, I sadly stand up here today telling you that not everyone is willing to pay the cost of following this Jesus and being a part of his kingdom. Their testimony is the exact opposite of Paul the Apostles. And in the Gospels, Jesus has this encounter, this interaction with a, maybe you don't know his name, we just know that he's it's described as a rich ruler. And he asks Jesus what he has to do to have eternal life. I mean, think about it. The guy comes up to him and he goes, Jesus, what do I have to do essentially to get to heaven? What do I have to do to like, be your follower? Like, it's like in that type of question. And after some back and forth, hear, hear what Jesus finally says to the, to the rich ruler, the guy who has everything. Jesus turns to him and I can only imagine he had a smile on his face of compassion. It says, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the rich man heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus seeing that he had become sad, become sad said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Church, this rich ruler, when faced with the reality of forsaking this present world to possess the kingdom, when faced the idea of being poor and lowly and not having power and comfort and all those things, he decided that his own soul was not worth it. Remember, he asked the question about eternal life. He literally heard the cost and said, it will be my everything. And he says, no way. I'd rather be rich and be damned than be poor and have eternal life. That's a tragic scene. He faced God in the flesh and said, you and what you have to offer me is not worth it. Though he came with the question, right? tragic. Friends, the rich ruler leaves us the sobering warning of the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures that this life has to offer in all their various forms. So whether it's riches and power or every single sexual encounter you could have, 
or your highs or the promises of being famous or whatever you think is valuable in this life, whatever you hold near and dear to your heart, they're all a lie. It's all a lie. And the rich ruler, he couldn't fathom the joy in forsaking all to possess the kingdom and the blessings God promises to those who seek it. And I tell you, our Jesus is not a liar. When God says that he blesses those who seek him, seek the kingdom, possess it, have it, all that talk, God's not lying to you. He is worth it. The kingdom is worth it. And the disciples in the same scene, after they hear Jesus talking about this rich man who can't get into the kingdom now because of his love for wealth and power and all that stuff, they hear that. And they interject into the conversation. And then Peter stands up after hearing all this and he goes, uh, well, Jesus, look at us, your disciples. We've left our homes for you and we followed you. We've gave up everything for you. You know, they were fishermen. He's like, we gave up our businesses. We gave up, we left our wives at home. You know, we were seeking you. And we had to explain to our wives, you know, this is just my thoughts on Peter because some of the disciples are married. Could you imagine coming home from work one day and being like, honey, I need to quit my job and uh, go be an evangelist. Just like out of the blue almost, like, it's like that. And so Peter's bringing this up to Jesus now after the rich young man turns away from him. And so Peter's like, hey, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Wink, wink. What do you, you know, what's in it for us now? Because he's asking that serious question. Why am I doing this? What's, what's the reward in all this? And Jesus says to him, he doesn't rebuke him for that. He does, he's, he's like, he's having an honest conversation about why and the blessings of following him are important. And Jesus says to them, the disciples, he goes, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Friends, seeking the kingdom of God and following Jesus will cost you everything you think is important, everything you think is valuable, everything you want for yourself and your life and all that. But God promises he gives so much better than what you think you even want, need, or desire. The good Lord, time and time again, as we just read, will promise he will bless us and repay us in ways you cannot even imagine. It just might not be in ways you want. But he says he will do it. He'll repay you in this life and in the life to come. Eternal glory, riches with him. And this is all contingent upon you and I not growing weary in seeking and following Jesus and his kingdom. And y'all, this is just the heart of our Christian lives. It's what we're about. And it's again, why we write songs and poems. This is a children's song, but it's so powerful in the description of why we forsake this world to have the kingdom of God, to follow this Jesus. Maybe some of you heard this when you were younger. It goes like this. I met Jesus at the crossroads where the two ways meet. Satan too was standing there. And he said, come this way, lots and lots of pleasures I will give to you today. But I said, no, there's Jesus here. See what he offers me. Down here, my sins are forgiven. Up there at home in heaven. Praise God, that's the way for me. Friends, the kingdom of God, seeking and following Jesus, is the most valuable thing. And it will cost everything. And our good King Jesus modeled it. 
and we, his people, are to follow in his steps. And so as I think about this during the week, how do we practically implement seeking Jesus, seeking his kingdom, following him, those types of things? And I thought, well, first off, if we're going to seek the kingdom of God and seek and follow this Jesus, it has to begin with actually knowing Jesus as your one true king, what we call salvation. As we read, every knee will bow to Jesus. You either will bow the knee to Jesus in this life or you're going to bow the knee to Jesus in the next life. There is no alternative. There is no other king you will owe allegiance to. Just this Jesus. And so you need to ask yourself, who will you worship and follow? It begins seeking this Jesus, taking him at his word, taking him plainly. Second off, prioritizing your life around the king's plan. When we think about being citizens of the kingdom and knowing that we're under the power of Jesus, everything in your life belongs to Jesus. Your finances, your marriage, your home life, your job, all your leisure, everything belongs to Jesus. And so when you ask yourself, is every part of your life really in submission to Jesus? Does your marriage reflect what the Bible describes marriage should be like? Do you raise your kids as God in his word says to raise your kids? Do you spend and deal with your money the way God says to spend and deal with your money? All those types of questions. Has Jesus infiltrated every part of your life? Is his flag of the cross really on every part of you? Things to think about, things to pray about. And what happens when you find out it's not true? You know, husbands, not beating upon husbands, but we're called to be the spiritual heads of our home. Do you lead your family in prayer? Do you know the Bible so you can teach your wife and children the Bible? Those types of good questions. And what to do when you find out we're lacking and falling short. And be willing to repent and sacrifice when things come between you and obedience to the king. Things like participating in the life of the church, the kingdom community. What do you do when your job, I'm not saying to quit your job tomorrow by any means, but really think this through. It could be a job, whatever it is. Whatever stops you from participating in the life of the church, is that stopping you from living as God says to live in fellowship and community and all those things? I can only imagine what that's got to be like being a traveling businessman. And what if that takes you out of church three-fourths of the year or something? like? Is that okay? Like things you should be thinking about. Does it take your family out of church? You know, do your extracurriculars take you away from following Jesus? These are big, bold statements, and I'm not saying do immediate action, but I'm saying do some hard inventory. Do the things you love and do, whether they're necessary things like a job or they're just fun things like extracurriculars, do they really come between you and the kingdom life that's described in the Bible? And those are necessary and hard questions we all have to ask ourselves. And when you get that pressure on your heart from the Holy Spirit, when you read scripture and you're like, man, my life doesn't look like this, be willing to say, Jesus, you got to make a change in my life. Are you willing to sacrifice the job to have more of Jesus? Are you willing for a pay cut? Things like that, hard questions. Things that only you and Jesus can really answer together. Things you need to think about. So as we come to close today, knowing Jesus, prioritizing our life around him, and making sure that our life revolves around the church, Church is not just something, it's not just an activity you do. 
church is what we are. We're the people of God. We're a called out community. We're unique in the earth. We're supposed to be together. As the church and everything about church, I mean, it's not about attendance police. It's about being a part of the community, investing in the church. Whether this church or wherever you belong, are you actually a part of the church or do you just go to church? Big differences. Things to think about, things to pray about. And above all, remember, the reason why this is so important is because the kingdom of God, following and seeking after Jesus, costs us everything. But it's worth it. God promises it's worth it. So when you feel fearful, trust in the one true God and his word, which never fails. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and thank you for these two short little parables that speak volumes. Speak volumes about seeking the kingdom at all costs, pursuing this Jesus at all costs, knowing that in our own power, Lord, we can't do this. We need your Holy Spirit's help. We need the Spirit to help us actually do this. Because you told us elsewhere, Jesus, that without you, we can do nothing. God, we pray for that urgency, that your glory and your kingdom and us living for you would be our everything, that we would live, eat, sleep, and breathe this Jesus. that's a story of what it means to be Christian because the good king lived that story out so may his story be our story for his glory and his name's sake amen we're having a time now of response whether you come to the altar stay in your seat what areas of your life need some invitation of Jesus to come fresh in where do you need to see him work in your heart to line up your life with more and more of his values? Pray about this. I'm sure right now you're being poked in the heart on areas where you need to submit to Jesus. Don't ignore that. That's the Holy Spirit. He will lead and guide you. He'll help you make those decisions. And if you need to talk, pray, whatever, whether now or after church, elders and pastors are available. Find a faithful Christian. Pray. Let's do some business with the Jesus now. Amen.